Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobitz van Staden of Witts University in Johannesburg, South Africa. A very good afternoon to you, Kobitz. Good afternoon. Kobus, over the past few weeks, we have been talking on this show about the changing international order, in particular uh, in the context of this new Donald Trump era that's coming. And really what that symbolizes in so many ways is the grand power shifts, in so many ways the tectonic plates of grand power and great power politics do seem to be moving right now. And nowhere is that more evident than in the Middle East. And the Middle East right now in, the, in, in that region, we'll, we'll kind of use that as a broad term for the Middle East, the Gulf, and North Africa, is really the site of where the tragedy of Syria is unfolding before us. And that's where most of the world's attention is focused on right now in Aleppo and this humanitarian catastrophe that is taking place there. But meanwhile, behind the scenes of what's happening there, while everybody's focusing on Syria, there is this confluence of the great power politics that's happening. And there is this retreat in many ways of the Europeans and the Americans from engagement in countries like Saudi Arabia, certainly in Egypt, and the arrival of the Chinese. And I think it's so interesting now to see how the Chinese are engaging the Middle East and the Persian Gulf countries in ways that they've never done before. And a lot of it is being fueled by the One Belt, One Road or the Maritime Silk Road agenda. Now, those of you who are not familiar with it, this is China's grand global trading strategy that really kind of stretches from China through the Central Asia, all the way into the Gulf areas, down th- across Eastern Africa, across the Indian Ocean, back up South Asia, and into China. Now, the original plan for this Maritime Silk Road was to bring Chinese products to the rest of the world and to bring both products from the rest of the world, but more importantly, raw materials from places like the Middle East and the Persian Gulf back into China. And so in that context, China is making a very big play now in the Middle East and the Persian Gulf. Egypt is a particularly important um, point, port of call here um, with high-level negotiations taking place between between Beijing and Cairo. Um, there's massive new developments funded by China that's going to take place in Egypt. Um, and we can really see how, in the context of One Belt, One Road, uh, the Mediterranean and North Africa is, is looking forward to perhaps taking on a different kind of role in the world rather than the one that they had in relation to Europe and the U.S. Kobus, it's fascinating that you bring up Egypt so so quickly because that is really where uh, so much of the attention – and Egypt is an unusual country in Africa for the Chinese in part because it doesn't have a lot of natural resources or any natural resources for that matter for the most part. It doesn't have a very big domestic market in terms of value. It's, a, it's the largest country in North Africa, 90 million people, but it's still a relatively poor country, so there's not a big domestic market. So it really begs the question of what is the allure of Egypt? And yet, the Chinese have agreed to fund a $45 billion project to build a new Egyptian capital in the deserts outside of Cairo. The Chinese recently agreed to a $2.6 billion currency swap deal. And 86 Chinese companies have invested over a billion dollars in a special economic zone near the Suez Canal. 
that's just really the list of deals that's happened in the past, say, six months to eight months. That list is much, much longer if you go into it, you know, over the past couple of years. So to better understand what's happening here and to understand why the Chinese are both taking an interest in Egypt, but also their broader Middle East agenda, I was very, very excited to see a column that appeared in the Gulf News called The Growing Influence of China in the Middle East. It was written by Professor Zainab Al-Bernusi, who is a professor of international relations at the School of Humanities and Social Sciences at uh, AUI University in Ephraim, Morocco. And we are thrilled to have Professor Bernusi join us on the line today for today's show. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you, Eric, for having me. It's wonderful to have you, in part because this is a topic that I think a lot of people don't understand very well, but yet some very important movements are afoot in the diplomatic world. Tell us a little bit about, you know, the, the thesis of your, of your piece, the growing influence of China in the Middle East, and why is it that you think Egypt is at the center of their strategy? All right. Well, um, you mentioned some important points about this uh, growing interest of China in the Middle East. So you mentioned the uh, One Belt, One Road uh, plan, which I would also call a mega policy. And it's also integrated with uh, the new grand strategy for the Middle East uh, from China. And uh, the idea is is definitely to uh, here, uh, well, include uh, the Middle East countries, North Africa, in this new um, Silk Road, and then enjoy more trade with these countries. So to do so, it's also important here for this project to have a more peaceful MENA region. And um, for this this uh, this plan, it's also becomes important to strengthen diplomatic ties and maybe even uh, become a form or a, a, an actor of, of uh, well, a, a new broker maybe in this, this region. And um, we've seen uh, last, in the beginning of this year, um, these visits of um, the Chinese president to the, the strategic uh, capitals of the region. And um, Egypt was one of them. This was actually Xi Jinping's second visit, and um, it uh, also was reciprocated by, by Sisi, who, who went uh, to, to visit China, who also was uh, a honor guest for the G20 summit uh, in China. So here we see that there is this, this also focus on, on Egypt's relations. Um, so... In, in the, the column, I, I particularly um, focus on uh, what it actually means. And um, it, well, seems that it is a, a way of addressing um, the region in a, a manner that, that seems a bit more on, on a more equal footing. And I think that's, that's quite... A, a very good strategy. So China and Egypt have also a historical background that they can use. They they have been key players in the post-colonial non-alignment ambitions. So in the article, I, I talk about uh, uh, the, the 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 good relationships uh, between 
the um, the hero of independence in in Egypt, Gamal uh, Abdel Nasser, and uh, uh, drawing lies. So so there there they actually already, I mean, have a history of of warm relations of of uh, uh, mutual. Uh, uh, struggles and uh, now it's it's a time where there seem to be a bit of a confusion on on who's really a trust partner, a trust great power in the region, and I think it's 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 an opportunity for for China and it is trying to to fill in here this this maybe role. Um, and in terms of Egypt, so you mentioned that um, it maybe lacks well definitely uh, commercial opportunities. Uh, so, so what's the allure, as as you said? So why why then Egypt? Well, I mean, Egypt is definitely, I mean, uh, in terms of demographics, a very important country uh, in the region. It's almost uh, hundred million people now, and um, it is also historically a center for maybe um, what is still a latent pan-Arab identity which is, I mean, definitely important for the MENA region. Of course, there are uh, uh, other identities, but uh, uh, there is this allure of unity that pan-Arabism brought. And, and again, here going back in history, Nasser was a major champion of, of this discourse of Arab unity. And it seems um, that... Zainab, to, yes. sorry to interrupt you there. Um, just, yes. just on that point, um, you mentioned in your column that China is using an approach which you call civilizational diplomacy. Um, yes. I wonder if you could tell us what that is and how that works. All right. Well, um, here, the idea of, of uh, civilizational diplomacy is really attempting to use a shared history, similar civilization, as a way to actually promote uh, a feeling of, of uh, uh, kinship between the two countries. So I mentioned particularly the work of a uh, geochemist uh, uh, from China who published uh, his work on maybe the origin, the Egyptian origins of, of the Chinese civilization. And um, it is, again, uh, I mean, quite, uh, of course, there, there, there had been people who, who seen the bits or maybe uh, critiques towards this, this, his theories. But again, it's, it seems that it's really uh, the timing of these, the, the coming out of these work is, is quite uh, strategic, maybe. So here, th this is what I meant by, by civilizational discourse or civilizational uh, diplomacy. So pretty much relying on a similar civilizational past, civilizational history, even uh, uh, mutual origins to put their, I mean, uh, their, their, um, to put China on, in a way, on par with Egypt. You know, it's interesting because, you know, when China engages with other parts of the world, particularly maybe sub-Saharan Africa, South America, mm -hmm. even here in Southeast Asia, it does it on very, what I'll call contemporary terms. It's using global capitalism. It's it's kind of engaging in its own kind of way, its, its own pace and its own speed. The Middle East presents a very different dynamic. The Islamic world today uh, is at war with itself. There are proxy wars now between the Sunnis and the Shias funded by the Iranians and the Saudis. We obviously have the civil war in Syria. There's the ongoing Arab-Israeli conflict. There's the battle, the battle with ISIS that's there. So this is a much more volatile, 
much more intense region where, you know, simple loans and the tools of diplomacy that the Chinese may have been very successful in other parts of the world, um, you know, may not work here in quite the same way. Then you factor into that the Western powers, which still very much feel that the Middle East is a sphere of influence for them, whether it's the Americans or the British or the French in many ways, who have controlled the five-party talks, they've controlled the dialogue and the discourse for so many years. So do the Chinese really feel that they are up to the task? And I know you can't speak on behalf of the Chinese government, but when we look Mm -hmm. at the kind of the mosaic of Middle Eastern politics today and the brutality that it's now confronted, are the Chinese up to getting into this mess? Uh, well, that is quite um, a, a tough question. But, um, well, you said the, the, the uh, policy of China focusing on global capital and focusing on business. And this is what we've seen in Africa. So again, here, uh, uh, this idea of, of doing business more than maybe meddling with, with domestic issues, intervening in, in politics. That's what we, I mean, usually, um, uh, I mean, how we see China. And I think that's some, in some way what it is trying to do also with uh, the MENA region. And um, maybe actually it is a more, a better plan uh, to actually start from just focusing on on, on the business and uh, trade uh, uh, ambitions and then incrementally maybe attempting to deal with those more horny subjects, right, of, of also uh, sectarian politics. Well, in, in the recent visits, the, the, I mean, the, the, the move to visit both Iran and Saudi Arabia, um, I mean, it, it's a, w- a way to actually say that, well, maybe we can go or uh, actually go beyond the challenges of uh, the Sunni-Shi divide and and try to just do business and and, uh, uh, develop these uh, trade routes of of, uh, uh, the the, the Obor policy. And in this way, maybe um, have a first commercial dialogue that then can uh, become also a, a more political dialogue. Um, how do the uh, the kind of MENA nations, how do they look at China? Um, is there is there a, a kind of a discourse of thinking of China as a potential uh, broker or, you know, strategic partner or political partner? Or is, it, or is the discourse almost completely just about loans, trade, money, uh, and, you know, kind of financial issues? Well, um, I think that it is, uh, in a very uh, important uh, period of shift. So of shift from uh, not maybe taking China so seriously as a so-called uh, uh, peace broker, as a um, great power that would be uh, of much influence in the region because those roles were, were taken by, by um, the US and uh, European great powers and uh, um, I think the recent events, particularly uh, since the uh, uh, Iraq war uh, and the events that, that followed, and particularly up to the Arab Spring, were a bit of a uh, legitimacy crisis to the role, the classic role of these great powers. And I think that now these, the, the countries of the region, the, region, the MENA region, are, are taking China more and more seriously. 
beyond its role of only a funds and development, uh, I mean, development funds and uh, uh, investment uh, partner. Um, so, uh, for instance, uh, talking about another example, Morocco, um, there, the, in the um, MENA visits of Xi Jinping, Morocco is not part of the visits, but I mean, in the same year, a few months later, the the, um, the king of Morocco went to uh, an official visit and also signed multilateral, uh, uh, um, I mean, uh, investment deals. So that there was there, I mean, an attempt to say, well, now we're taking China more seriously, also by by uh, um, affirming its importance to us. Kobus, you know, I'm. On the one hand, I feel very excited about what China is doing in the Middle East because I think that there's a very big opportunity here, in part because of the realignment that Xi talked about in the United States and in France and in the retreat of U.S. and European influence in this part of the world. And I think that, you know, the Arab world in particular will welcome the Chinese as, just like in, in Africa, as an alternative to the traditional powers. I also at the same time question whether China's diplomatic skills are up for the task because they've never been confronted by challenges like this, by the sensitivities, the yeah. complexities, the violence. And Kobus, you know, what's your take looking forward, whether or not you think the Chinese will be able, be able to have the inroads that they've had in MENA that they've had, say, in sub-Saharan Africa? I think it's going to depend a lot on whether China is really interested in stepping into a conventional, and, and conventional, I mean, uh, kind of a 20th, 20th century model of a superpower or not. Um, you know, I think frequently in, in from the West and in the U.S., I think there's an assumption that that is what China wants to do. Um, I'm not so sure that that's necessarily 100% true. I think China certainly wants to be more prominent in the world. Um, I don't know that they necessarily ask that there's so much enthusiasm either from Beijing or from um, the Chinese people themselves to necessarily take on this comprehensive managerial superpower position that the U.S. held, you know, after the Second World War. Um, you know, to, to a certain extent, I th- I, you know, I, I'm not sure that China necessarily has the, has the, the kind of uh, personnel and other capabilities to do that right now. Um, and also, I don't know that they necessarily are, are interested in, in maintaining this kind of like whole sphere of power and influence. At the moment, there seems to be a lot of uh, a lot of focus, especially if you listen to the Chinese government, which you know obviously is a, is a fraught thing to do. But um, you know, a, a somewhat more um, humble focus on on trying to like pull a, you know a large part of China's population up to the middle class and on um, you know just kind of enlarging China's position rather than kind of taking over everything um, I think though that um, you know what we'll see is that a lot of that that a lot of what China does in the region will have been uh, preceded but what it, by what it did in Africa so I think a lot of it a lot in a lot of ways Africa was kind of baby steps for China um, in terms of peacekeeping, in terms of multilateral uh, institution building and and kind of cooperation with other with other powers, um, which they will now, they might now kind of um, start to try out, you know, in, in, in real life in, in the Middle East. Sure. Um, I'm. I wonder how much success is going to be. There's definitely. It's. It's a. It's a. It's going to be a trial and error situation, and that's a very, very volatile 
area to have trial tough and neighborhood to do it in. Z, let me put the last question to you about where do you yes. see this going? You know, take us out two or three years. Do you see China hosting Middle Eastern peace talks? Do you see China kind of pushing the U.S. <laughs> aside? Do you see China being a player or are they just going to be the largest trading partner of every country in this region? Um, I think I would see China maybe becoming a, a player. Um, you mentioned um, the those uh, an attempt to a peace process in Beijing uh, a couple of years ago, where China invited uh, uh, several uh, key figures uh, to talk about the Arab-Israeli peace process. And uh, I mean, it, it wasn't maybe seen at all as a, as a serious attempt. But I think that. They are aware probably of, of uh, this this uh, lack of diplomatic skills to tackle such a mess, right? In in uh, that's that's the the region represents in terms of, of uh, several conflicts, and I think that this this attempt is is a really a, a proof that they are learning and and that they are attempting to learn at least, and and I think that maybe we will see a. Chinese equivalent of, of peace camps, and I think that uh, particularly where this the, the skills of Chinese attempt to deal with the MENA would need to appear more in uh, trying to consolidate maybe uh, more dialogue between Tehran and Riyadh. I think that would be quite key. Interesting. And let's not forget that China, of course, is a permanent member of the UN Security Council, and as such, it has veto power. The Chinese said that they would never, ever let what happened in Libya happen again, which was, of course, the passage of UN Resolution 1972, which allowed for the intervention that ultimately led to the toppling and the killing of Muammar al-Gaddafi. And, uh, and that, in some ways, gives com some comfort to some of, uh, of the Middle East region's uh, leaders there who, who were kind of in concerned about uh, Western military intervention in the region, you know, under the cloak of UN cover. The Chinese have said that will not happen again. China is now supporting the Arab League more. So China is going to be a big player in this region. I highly, highly recommend that you visit Gulf News and take a look at, uh, at Professor Albernusi's uh, article, The Or Column, The Growing Influence of China in the Middle East. Z, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. It's very kind of you to take time out of your schedule to talk with us. It was my pleasure. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you. Professor Bernusi is a professor of international relations at the School of Humanities and Social Sciences at, at AUI University in Ephraim, Morocco. And again, she has a column in, uh, in Gulf News, The Growing Influence of China in the Middle East. This, of course, is a topic that Kobus and I will continue to keep an eye on because it is one of the most fascinating, least understood areas of Chinese foreign policy in North Africa. And as North Africa, of course, reaches into the Arab Street and the rest of the Persian Gulf. Uh, for Kobus van Staden, I'm Eric Olander. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back again next week with another edition of the China in Africa podcast. The discussion continues online. Head over to facebook.com slash China Africa Project to share your thoughts on today's show or follow China Africa News that's updated every four hours, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The guys are also on Twitter, where you can find Kobus at Stadenesk or Eric at Eolander. That's E-O-L-A-N-D-E-R. Subscribe to the China Africa podcast on iTunes or download the mobile apps for iOS, Android, or Windows Phone. Just head over to your favorite store and search for China Africa.